I did the same thing. I forgot to start Facebook for a while. <laughs> We are quiet this morning. I mean, if your whole life is based on believing in Jesus for not just your salvation, but for why we exist, why we do what we do. I mean, it's supposed to be. <laughs> if we are believers, our lives are supposed to be centered around Jesus Christ. Not just our Sunday mornings and not just our belief that we're going to heaven, but everything, everything in our lives. And if everything in our lives is based on some false hope of a delusional man that said he was God and wasn't and never rose from the dead, then that's pretty hopeless. And that would be pretty sad for the, all of us. But fortunately, Paul does not quit there. He continues in chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came through man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. Whoops. I'm sorry, I'm reading my notes and not the slides, so I'm getting confused. <laughs> Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Not but in hypothesis, not but in opinion, not but in maybe, but in fact. And we know what facts are, right? Facts are truth. And there's a whole lot of historical attestation to the fact that Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. There's a lot of proof. But in fact, your hope is not in vain. Christ has been raised from the dead. No matter the pain, we have hope because Jesus is resurrected. There is new life, there is eternal life. Not that the pain doesn't matter, simply that it doesn't get the last word. Hope gets the last word. And the first way we find our hope is the certainty of resurrection, the fact that it is historic rock bottom fact. And we can come back to that when we feel hopeless, when we feel the grief overwhelming us, we can come back to, hey, this is fact. I know, even though I don't maybe feel it today, resurrection is real. Life is real. We don't grieve without hope. Anger and fear and envy and loneliness are normal, but they're not the final story. They don't win. And that's pretty hopeful to me. And then we get to Jesus' promises, the things that he said that gave us hope. And even when he was in his worst pain and fear, this is what he says to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. How are the disciples feeling at this point in John 14? If you know what's going on here. Basically, he's just given his farewell speech. What's going on in their minds and their hearts? Uh, wait a minute, that isn't how it's supposed to go. <laughs> um, Confusion? Yeah. That's what you're saying? <laughs> and where are you going anyway? And why aren't you going to stay? Yeah, the plan was for you to usher in the kingdom of God on a white stallion or something. I don't understand this new plan that you're talking about, even though it wasn't new and he told them about it, (laughs) but you know, so they're confused, a little frustrated maybe. I mean, I've sat around in a room where we were saying goodbye to somebody. How How does it feel? Scared, anxious, confused, about to be utterly terrified <laughs> and grieving because they, they don't know what's coming next, but they're pretty sure it's not good. So knowing their feelings, Jesus gives them in advance this hope. He tells them, I know your hearts. And then he reassures them and he says, Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And to really get to the idea of what he's saying there, you know, in English, we pat somebody on the head and like, don't be troubled. Don't worry. You know, it'll all be fine. That's not what this word means. It's not, it's not that. To be troubled in that, in that particular word to render anxious or distressed, to cause one inward commotion, to take away calmness of mind. It's not just a little worried. He's saying, don't let what is happening to you steal your peace. Don't let it take you down permanently. Don't let it trouble you. Don't let it take away calmness of mind. It's a pretty strong word. And it's a pretty meaningful word. You know, I've experienced both of these. When, when a Christian loses a loved one, I've seen that calmness of mind and I've seen that peace. And I've seen that deep down, even though all those emotions are happening, they're not troubled because it cannot take away their peace. 
I've also watched the opposite. I've watched, you know, my dad lose my mom and he didn't have any hope and he didn't have any faith. What he had was alcohol and that's what he used for 10 years. That event took away his peace. It took away his calmness of mind and he didn't know where to turn. And so he turned the absolute wrong way to deal with that grief. And Jesus says, don't let this take that away from you. I leave you something else. And something else he talks about, he's going to go on to say in this particular talk, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I leave you this gift. I leave you peace. That's kind of an amazing gift. Security, the tranquil state of the soul, it's the exact opposite of troubled, right? I'm leaving you a tranquil state instead of a troubled state. Don't let these rightfully horrible circumstances steal your tranquility of soul. And that's Jesus' gift to us if we want to take it. We can have pain, but we can also have peace. It's like, it's like being a circus performer who falls and finds a safety net. It's there. You might fall. You might get hurt. But there's a safety net. And that's Jesus' peace. Thoughts, questions so far? We're very quiet this morning, but you might have thoughts or questions. Or an example of when maybe you felt that peace. Keep going. Then after Jesus, Paul, we get Paul, and Paul gives us other reasons for hope. Jesus offers this immediate, ongoing remedy for troubled hearts. He offers peace. Paul offers some answers for people who are wondering. If you think about the people Paul was talking to when he wrote his letters, they're all new to faith, they all don't know really what happens. They're they're being discipled, but like they don't know, especially uh, the Roman Greek disciple, or I mean followers. They don't, they don't know anything of the background. They're not Old Testament scholars. They know nothing. And so Paul is teaching them so much. And one of the things that is troubling them is what happens after people die? Because understand, this is not theoretical for them. Their brothers and sisters in the faith are being persecuted and they are dying for their faith. So this is not some theoretical question for them. They're really concerned. What happens? We don't know. They haven't learned this. Um, and we need both of these things. We need the peace and the hope that Jesus gives, but we also need the concrete. Okay. What goes on? What happens? And Paul gives that to us. He says, and this is a passage we're going to talk about later, too, um, when we get to the next topic. But 
He tells them, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the best of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So he's offering up some facts and he's going to continue with those later in Thessalonians. And we're going to talk about those later when we talk about that topic. But facts offer hope. Knowing offers hope. Confusion is kind of like, it, it feeds hopelessness. And Paul knows that, so he offers it to them. And finally, finally, scripture gives us hope by helping us in time to see the whole arc of the story. In time. This isn't, this isn't the work of a moment. It doesn't happen quickly or even soon when we're grieving, but it is a part of the process that gives us a real anchor. I mean, we, we may be in pain, but we don't. And the first thing we think about is not, oh, in the long run, <laughs> you know, I'll be okay. But it's hope when we need it. And it really grounds us. It gives us an anchor for what we believe. Romans 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long to be released, for we long for bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait without, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies he has promised us. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Where's the hope? Where's the hope in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians? And how does it help us now? Someone else has to talk on this one. Things that we have hope for that they can will get better. Mm -hmm. Things will get better. And some of these temporary things are part of the process of preparing us for what's ahead. True. Somehow we get refined by pain better than anything else. <laughs> 
if we if we let it. I was telling Becca just before we started that right now in the middle of college studies, it feels like it's going to last forever. But at some point, it's going to feel like it was short. I think that kind of relates to these passages of scripture. <coughs> How? <laughs> Ema thinks this life is short compared to the rest of eternity. Yeah. There's an eternal view here. And we don't think about very much. And it doesn't end our pain now. It doesn't make it, you know, go away now. And it shouldn't. Because if we're created to love one another and to be one another's guardian and one another's neighbor, then we will hurt. <laughs> And rightfully so. I mean, if not, then we're not really connected to other people. But what this hope does is refuse to leave us with, with the idea that that was pointless, that, that our lives are pointless, that it tells us that our, our finiteness, our limits will not be the whole story. It reminds us we don't grieve with no hope because it reminds us of the very last promise of scripture. It says in Revelation, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. It offers us this eternal perspective that we can, we can stand back from our present circumstances and we can look at the big picture and we can see eternity and we can see how small this part is vast that part is and how glorious it will be and how hopeful it will be and how there will not be pain or sorrow in the end. And that's our hope. And I can look at that and I can say, I just in the last few years have said goodbye to my second set of parents and they're going to be healed. And they're going to be, you know, one of the last things dad said was, I don't want more doctors. I don't want more medicine. I don't want more tests. And guess what? He doesn't have them. <laughs> he will never have them again because he's healed. I can take the eternal perspective and I can say, Wally is healed now. He's healed of his addictions. He's healed of all the pain that his family caused him that, that created the, the life that he had. I can look at the eternal perspective and think about my sister who died when she was 25 and 20 of those years were spent in a wheelchair. And I can say, Hey, there's no more pain in heaven. She's not, she's not in that chair. She's, she's dancing with Jesus right now. <laughs> I mean, And we'll get to that later, but you know, exactly what happens in the middle time, but those things are healed. They're done. They're over in eternity. So what do we do with this? What do we do with all this, this hope? And I think the first thing we do is we don't be troubled. And that's easier said than done when we're in grief. 
but we intentionally search and we seek out God's promises to remind us that nothing can steal our calmness of mind, our peace, our wholeness. It can shake us up quite a lot, but it cannot steal it. So don't be troubled. It can't take that away from us, no matter what we are going through. It can't take away our peace. We offer hope. We comfort others. We sit with them. We tell them of Jesus' suffering and love and understanding. We tell them hope wins. We just be quiet and listen. We offer hope. And I think the last thing we do is we be witnesses. Be a witness. When I told that story about Wally, I never expected it on, on social media to just, it went nuts. And I was just talking about a 35-year relationship with a guy who was in and out of jail. And so many people found hope in that story. Somebody wanted to put it in her sermon. Somebody wants me to write an article about it. Um, but so many people commented and said, wow, this has given me hope for humanity <laughs> and, and for the goodness that people can do. And I just, I was floored because I was like, it's just a little story about something that happened. And I didn't know people would find so much hope in it. I didn't even know that in writing it, I was being a witness to his life. And that's our job. Tell the stories about people. Talk, talk about their lives. Be a witness to the good and the bad and the mundane. And make sure they're, they're remembered. And do we have any, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think those are the things we do with the hope that Jesus gives us is, are there any other comments or thoughts, or do you have other ideas of what we do with our hope, how it can help people now, how it can help us now, how we can do these things, be a witness, offer comfort. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to have communion, and uh, we're going to read together for communion. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So God, we do fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And sometimes, Lord, our troubles don't feel light at all. Sometimes they feel very, very heavy, and they feel like they're pulling us down. Help us to see eternity. Help us to see the big picture. Help us to see the long arc of the story. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Give us strength and peace and hope 
Help us to be witnesses to you, to others. Help us to become alongsiders, those who comfort in here. And Lord, thank you for your witness to our pain and our glory. Your words are your witness to us that you see us and you understand us and you know because you have suffered and you are in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.